0: If you have a copy of the Scriptures, I invite you to look with me in Romans chapter 15. Well, this morning we're going to look at the rest of this chapter together. So we'll look at verses uh, basically 8 through 33. So I'm going to read you a sample of uh, those verses in chapter 15. Um, you remember that the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans are telling us about the gospel, what it is, what is good news, what does it mean that Christ has come, and was He accomplished? In verses 12 through 16, we get the Significance of that—that God wants us to have a gospel culture. There should be a culture, a type of culture amongst God's people. Remember, a gospel culture is a place where good things can happen to bad people, because the message of the gospel is that God is gracious to the undeserving. So, a culture that takes that message in would embody that message. We would live together in such a way. That we can be good to each other, even when we don't deserve it. So chapters 12 through 16 are laying that out for us in all kinds of detail. And as a matter of fact, the last couple weeks you might have thought that we were in such detail that we were lost in the weeds. It might have been you, I don't know. But chapter 15 and 16 zooms out. And we get to see a much broader, a, more, a bigger picture, almost like a panoramic view of what a gospel culture looks like. So if you felt like we were lost in the weeds for a couple weeks, we get to zoom back out today and think about what it looks like to live together from a cosmic perspective, if that makes sense, from a bigger perspective. So I want to read these verses to you from Romans 15, then I'll pray, and then we'll jump in. So listen to this. Romans 15, verses 8 through 14. We'll start there. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. My brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Skip down to verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a little while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, that means the northern part and southern part of Greece, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, They ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And then verse 30 through 33. I appeal to you brothers by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul sends us to the church in Rome roughly the year 57-58. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we thank you for your word. Lord, you tell us that you put eternity into each of our hearts. So we ask Lord that as we think about your word that by the work and your power Holy Spirit we would understand these words better and therefore we would understand our lives better and we always ask that you would bring us to Christ. That Holy Spirit you would make Jesus more and more irresistible to us. That we would desire for Jesus and the significance of the cross and the power of the resurrection to continue to have influence over us that we might be a people that long to act like you, Jesus, to think like you, to care like you, that we as a people would be able to say together, please, Jesus, come back soon. Make everything right. Give us that kind of heart and mind, we pray, for your glory. Amen. Have you ever thought about the difference between these two things? Have you ever thought about the difference between I'm trying to find my own way through life and I am part of something much bigger? You ever thought about the difference between those two? You ever thought about the difference between I'm trying to find my own way through life and a deep understanding that I am part of something much bigger? Than myself I was watching an interview of Serena Williams and this is a, a, a tennis player she's from Compton and she was being interviewed and in, in the interview she remarked uh, the, she said these words I am the hope and the dream of every slave by the way I don't think she was talking about her financial status I don't think she was talking about her titles. I don't think she was talking about her athletic ability. She was actually quoting a very famous poet, Maya Angelou. And she was saying, she was saying, I am worth something. I am someone of value. I have purpose. I have meaning. I am the hope and dream of every slave. I have value and worth. I have freedom. Now what if all of us today, what if each of you, what if all of us actually thought of ourselves as being part of something much bigger? What if each of us thought about the way that we are connected to God and are actually part of His plan for the world rather than trying to make our own way through life. Even if that means that God might be part of that. Meaning, I'm trying to make my own way through life and ensure I'm going to follow God's principles and therefore if I follow them, then I'll get the outcome I want. I'm not talking about that at all. That's just nonsense. That's not the message of the Bible or Christianity at all. What if we actually believed that we were connected to God and we actually were part of his plan for the world so that we didn't have to try to make our own way and pick things out here or there to just pragmatically go through life and see if we can make it work. Well, this morning, I wanna do two things as we look at this passage. I wanna show you two things. The first is this. God's plan has always been about people. Verses eight through 13. God's plan has always been about people, eight through thirteen. In verse fourteen through thirty-three, people reach people. God's plan plan has always been about people, and people reach people. Did you notice that as we read those verses eight and following, that Paul was quoting passages of Scripture? Did you notice that? If you go back and look at those references and where those quotes were coming from, you'll find that they come from Deuteronomy, they come from the Psalms, they come from Samuel, they come from Isaiah. Paul is gathering a comprehensive list from every part of every aspect of the Old Testament. Some from the writings, some from history, some from the Psalms, some from the law. He's gathering a comprehensive example and saying, look, This has been God's plan. This is what God is doing. All the way back hundreds of years before Christ, all the way to thousands of years before Christ. He's trying to situate in our minds this big picture of what God is doing in the world. And he's saying, I can show that to you from Genesis. I can show it to you from Deuteronomy. I can show it to you from Samuel. I can show it to you from the Psalms. I can show it to you from the prophecy, from Isaiah. This is God's plan, and every quote that he gives, if you look at it, every quote that he gives talks about those that are non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, the nations, and every one of those quotes talks about the Gentiles, non-Jewish people with worship, and that they should be worshiping God. And even more than that, he begins in verse eight talking about Christ, goes to verse 12, and talks about Christ. As if to say, the hope for the nations is found in the coming Messiah, who is the root of Jesse, verse 12, meaning Jesus, a descendant of the king, David, the true king, Jesus. And Paul is saying, do you realize what's happening, church, in Rome? Do you realize what's happening, Christ, Press? God has this magnificent plan for the world. God has been working for thousands of years. His plan has always been to gather people together in the worship of Jesus Christ to the glory of God so that throughout the world you can always see God working. You can always see that his people have been preserved, that the worship of the triune God will never ever be stopped or stamped out. It can't be because God loves his church. And God is always determined, even from the beginning, to spread his glory throughout the whole earth. Now, when you go back and look at those quotes and think about what they're saying, hopefully that gets you a little bit excited because our hope is not really in who may be in political office or not. Our hope is not even in getting the right laws in place because that doesn't change anyone's heart. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in what Christ has done. Our hope is that he is alive from the dead. You do realize that's crazy to believe, right? That we actually believe God came in the flesh and walked among us, washed feet, healed, and we do believe that that God, Jesus, fully God, fully man, suffered in our place, taking our place, and then he died. He defeated death by giving in to death. And he gave himself to it so that he would show that he is more powerful than death, so that we don't have to be afraid of death or dying, so that we can know and believe that one day Death will be no more. You do understand that Paul is trying to tap us back in to not only God's big plan, but reality, because we are so distracted and distractible. We start thinking God wants this, and we so we make this plans and ask Him to bless it, and God's like, just put those away. Your plans are too small. This is my plan. I'm coming, and I'm coming again. And I've always determined and always purposed to gather people together through what Jesus has done and worship. Now, let's not forget that last week, actually the last two weeks, we spent a little bit of time thinking about chapter 14 and the first part of chapter 15. Do you remember that if you were here? Just a little bit? And remember, Paul was working out for us, how in the world do we do church? Remember this? How do we do church when each of us are in a different place on the journey toward maturity? Remember this? How do we live together with differences? Remember that? Well, Paul is still answering the question. He's just saying, hey, y'all, you want to fight over things that don't really matter, that are matters of indifference? Have you forgotten God's plan? His plan is to gather people together. So why in the world would we squabble and squibble and fight over things that don't matter? Because one group wants to do this in faith. The other group doesn't want to do that in faith. Guess what? There is a right answer. But the bigger question is, how can we live together? And Paul sets that within this broader context of God's plan for all of history. Do you see it? So, next time you want to argue about something, by God's grace, think about is this worth arguing over given that God came in the flesh, suffered, died, rose again, and is coming back to make all things new? Is it worth arguing about? Is it worth arguing about that you can see God gathering people for thousands of years? And you want to argue about this? It doesn't matter? Think about it personally. Maybe some of you before you became a follower of Jesus were a really, really angry person that liked to argue all the time. And you look back over your former days before Jesus and thought to yourself, wow, God has made a difference in my life. I don't want to argue as much anymore. I'm more of a loving person. Think about what God has done in your own life. And maybe that can help you think through what you really want to argue about and what just doesn't matter. You see, if all that's true, then I want to make two points of application. Here's the first one. In Paul's mind, he's trying to get us to this point. It should be inconceivable that we want to fight and quarrel about things that don't matter. It should be inconceivable to us that our preferences are greater than God's plan and working in the world. It should be inconceivable that we would argue about things that don't matter. Here's the second point of application. Just for a few minutes, just for a few moments, can you, can you try by God's grace with me to take our focus off of ourselves and what we think we're trying to accomplish and can we just direct our gaze and direct our attention toward God for a moment? God has been working in history. You've heard it over and over. And you do realize that these verses, 8 through 13, Romans 15, is fulfilled and being fulfilled in this room? Can you just take your eyes off yourself for a minute and whatever you got planned this week, however good you think Thanksgiving's gonna be or however terrible it's gonna be for you? And can you just think about the reality that these verses are fulfilled and are being fulfilled in this room? If you are here and you belong to Jesus Do you remember when God talked to Abraham and said, From you, Abraham, all the nations are going to be blessed? Do you remember that? Guess who that is? Do I need to call out every single one of your names? You are the fulfillment of what God told Abraham. You. When God told Abraham, Hey, Abraham, uh, if you could count the sands on the seashore, guess what? You are the sand on the seashore. Abraham, look at the stars in the sky. That's going to be your descendants. You're the stars in the sky. Can you imagine that? It's true. What God has been doing in the world through the work of Jesus has resulted in you being present today. More importantly, you worshiping God through Jesus Christ. That is incredible that you can recognize that God's word doesn't fail. It means that when you doubt and when you have questions, have your doubts, raise your questions, look for answers, wonderful. But what God has told Abraham is, is true. You're a proof of it through Jesus. And that means that we should do a lot better job than we do in celebrating our differences. Know that? That means when you look around this room, my hunch is some of you would never have chosen to be friends with others of you in this room. It means that as I look around the room and I know many of your stories, wow, there's an incredible amount of divergence and differences in this room. From where you grew up to how you came to faith in Jesus. Jesus to what you're wrestling with, to what your job is, to what your skills are, to what your challenges are, to what your struggles have been, to the times when you've suffered or are suffering. And God is bringing all of us together. And these are things that we should get better at celebrating, not saying we do a great job. But I just wanna pause and just say, can you be thankful to God to what he's doing? Can, Can you look around the room? And, and, and can you look across the room or, or, or right beside you and say, I'm getting a glimpse of heaven. I'm getting a little foretaste of eternity. And you can also add in there, because that, that, when that time comes, you'll find out you're wrong, right? No. Because we'll know perfectly. We'll understand. And we'll be with all of God's people. That's this room plus so much more. Have you forgotten that you are the fulfillment of these verses and these statements in the Old Testament? All because of what Christ has done. It means that when you become a follower of Jesus, you don't join a new cause. Following Jesus is not fighting for a cause. When you accept Jesus's resume instead of your own, it means that you live a life as if you have received a heart transplant. That you live a life of thankfulness because someone has literally given you life and worth and value and hope. And has gifted you with skills to utilize for his glory. God has always been about gathering people. Second, people reach people. When you go back and read these verses uh, 15 through or 14 through 33, what you find is that Paul uh, not in an academic sense and, and not, he's not arguing for anything, he, he's writing to them relationally. He's writing to them a narrative of what's been going on in his life and he's trying to encourage them. And if you go back and read those verses, what you'll find is that Paul tells them about how he got to the point where he's now a minister. And he says, you know what, God called me to do this. And he even attaches that to another quote from the Old Testament, Isaiah, it's from Isaiah 52. Remember this morning, the assurance of pardon came from Isaiah 53, words that you recognized about describing Jesus. Those words were written over 700 years before Jesus was born. And right before those words, you have the words that Paul quotes in Romans 15 from Isaiah 52 in the last verse of that chapter. In other words, Paul is communicating, look, I could tell you that I was on the road to Damascus and Jesus did this because he met me. But Paul anchors what he's been doing in the ministry in God's word as if to say, look, yes, I met Jesus, but I was compelled by God's word to do this because this is God's plan for the world. So he entered the ministry and he started serving and he tells them that he traveled all the way from Jerusalem, all the way to what we know now is Albania, Ilicum. And he traveled from Jerusalem all the way there. He was hoping to get to Rome and he wasn't able to yet. And then he's going to go back to Jerusalem to deliver a gift from the churches that have been giving because God's people were in need in Jerusalem. So he's got to go back to Jerusalem first. And then after that, His plan is to go to Spain. Can you imagine the gospel going from Jerusalem to Albania and Paul wants to see it go to Spain? And we're at the year 58? We know that Paul loves this church. We know that Paul encourages this church. We know that he wanted to take the gospel to Spain. We don't think he ever got there. And he even says at the end that he hopes to come and see them several times, the church in Rome. And he doesn't end up in Rome the way he thought he would either. He ends up in Rome under house arrest with someone chained to him. It's not exactly the way he probably thought he would end up in Rome either, but nevertheless he did. And he writes this to them to encourage them about what God is doing, how God is continuing to further his purposes and continuing to build his church. And all of that is set within his encouragement to the church in Rome. Look at verse 14. This is what he says about them. Church in Rome, I'm well pleased with you. You are full of goodness. You are filled with knowledge. Look at verse 14. And you are able to instruct. And realize that Paul knows these people if you look in chapter 16, which we will, Lord willing, when you look at chapter 16, Paul lists names of people in the church of Rome, saying, greet this person, greet, this, greet Triphena, and greet Tryphosa. He lists all these names because he's encouraging them. He knows them by name. He says, look, y'all have outstanding character. You're full of goodness, and you're very discerning about truth. You know a lot about truth, so much so that you can instruct others. When you think back through what Paul wrote in these chapters to the church in Rome, just think about how deep Paul went with them, right? Think about how deep Paul went with them, explain to them what a true Jew is. Think about what Paul did when he talked to them about the unity of the Old and New Testament and how it all centers on the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about how deep he went with them, talking about predestination and election. Think about how deep he went with them regarding what it means to grow as a follower of Jesus in chapter six and seven and eight. Think about how deep he went with them, thinking about how is God gonna turn this thing around or continue to expand things in nine through 11 about God's people being one in one tree. He went so deep with them Sometimes I even wonder if you're to preach straight through this or study straight through this in many churches, if people would just write you off talking about those things. Paul knows them well and loves them. He says you're good people. You're full of goodness and you understand deep things. Beloved, let me just take a minute here to encourage you as Christ prays. Let me take a moment to encourage you on what I see. And there could be more that could be said, but hear this and receive this, please. This is a very safe place for people to come. And that's because of you. This is a place, you are a people that care about prayer. That means a lot. You are a people that are bent toward relationship and caring for one another. It's wonderful. You are a people, my perception, my opinion, that are generous with your time in the way that you want to help and care for one another. We're not perfect. Long way from it. We'll never get there. Never get there. But beloved, God is doing things in your life and in my life. And it is good to be together. And it's good to celebrate what God does in our midst. And I want you to know that. As your pastor, I care about you and I see things about you. And I want you to hear me say them to you. I'm thankful for you. And by God's grace, let's continue, right? And Paul says, so if you want to know, church in Rome, what you need to be about, and if you want to know, Christ Prez, what we need to be about, keep reaching people. Paul's saying where he's been and where he's planted because he's reaching people. He encourages the church in Rome because he's reaching people. He's encouraging the church in Rome so that they will continue to reach people. What he says to them is this, look, will you please think about these three things? This is what he tells them. Think about prayer, Think about giving. Think about church planning. You notice that Paul says in Brown verse 26 or 27, hey, if you're sharing in spiritual benefits together, then you also ought to share your material things together. Do you notice that? If you're part of the church, you ought to be giving to one another and giving to the kingdom of God. You ought to be giving of your time, yes. Of your energies, yes. And of your resources, yes. Matter of fact, this is how God wants us to care for one another. It doesn't mean that we can meet every need all of the time, but it means that we ought to be giving because we're sharing in the same spiritual benefit. So we ought to share our resources materially. So as you give, Know that you're honoring the Lord. Knowing th- know that people could not be helped in this body if you don't give. Knowing that we have been able to help people in this body and outside of our body because of your generosity. And that's the way we're supposed to live together. We don't give because we hope that if we give, God's gonna give us some other more, greater, better material thing. We give because God has given us everything. And if you've never thought about that, even as many times as it's been said, take it in, but give. Give of your time. Give of who you are. Give of your resources. Otherwise, you're just spending everything on yourself. And when you give to the Lord's work and you give to his church, you're prioritizing The reality that God is gathering a people and it won't stop. And He uses people to reach people. And oh, by the way, don't forget about prayer. Look at verse 30 through 33. Paul asks them, begs them, please continue to pray with me and for me. Because when He goes back to Jerusalem, He doesn't know how He's going to be received. If you remember from a few weeks ago, you might recall. That when Paul became a follower of Jesus, there was a group of people that knew him well and considered him a traitor. Remember this? And people who were following Jesus knew what Paul was before and they were afraid of him too. Talk about a guy that felt alone. So here he is going back into a place where there would be people who actually wanted him dead. So he says, Please pray for me, I, I don't wanna die i got to deliver this gift to the people in Jerusalem, but pray for me that those who don't like me, that they will not be able to do harm. Friends, pray that for one another. Our enemy is always lurking, trying to bring harm and do harm. Pray for one another. Pray for your pastors. Ask us to pray for you in specific ways, because we do, but we always want to know how we can pray for you more. Prayer is so profoundly important. Pray that what we do will be received. Pray that you would keep, that God would keep us from harm. And church planning, You know why Paul was gonna go to Spain? Anybody have a guess? Plant churches. Mission work was planting churches. Paul had been to Ephesus, right? He'd been to Philippi, Thessalonica, Galatia. Athens, the church had gone to Rome. Beloved, God's people ought to be about desiring to plant churches. If you're here this morning, and let's just say that you're not excited about the direction of our country, whether you're on this side or this side, let's just say you're not happy about how things are going. The best thing you can do, plant Plant churches. Our hope is in nothing else other than the message of Jesus. And that means into the future when we talk again about going uptown or thinking about planting churches, be open to the idea. Because we want to see more gospel churches. More churches that are centered on Jesus. That's what we should be doing together. It's wanting to see the gospel go to different places. And we can work together to do that. So Paul says, give, pray, and plant churches. Give, pray, and plant churches. All of that is to be done relationally. That means get to know your neighbors, get to know your coworkers. It's gonna take a long time probably for you to have a, get to the point of being able to have a spiritual conversation with someone, but build bridges and then try to cross those bridges. Don't Jesus, Jesus juke people. Don't drop the gospel grenade and run. Enter into people's lives. Don't try to back them into a corner to make a decision. Just get to know people around you. It's something that no one wants to do. No one wants to listen anymore. No one wants to ask good questions anymore. Everybody just wants to fight and argue and not listen. God is calling us to be a people that embody Jesus who came to pursue, to listen, to talk, to pray, to ask, to enter in. That's what Paul is saying. Next week we'll get even further in this, in chapter 16. But friends, remember this. God doesn't so much have a mission for his people as a people for his mission. And that's what brings us to the table.